everybody. Uh, warm welcome to our business conversation today. I'm very pleased to welcome Sergei Wojtyshkin, who is the managing partner of Baker McKenzie Russia CAS. Hello, Sergei. Very nice to be in touch in this route and uh, good to see you there in the office. I sometimes have had the pleasure over many, many years of listening to you at our live events and webinars. But the catalyst behind this is at those events, obviously, we ask you to speak for eight, 10, 14 minutes or something. And uh, I sometimes feel we're missing out on more content and uh, in depth. So this is a very good way uh, to catch up on that and to distribute it to all the group members. So very pleased to have you in this format. And uh, my first question was really a personal one. Uh, who are you? How did you get where you are? And what's your background? Uh, thank you, Danny. As always, it's a pleasure uh, to be speaking uh, to you. I enjoy your events uh, and I feel that they are very helpful in terms of uh, uh, understanding where the market is uh, going. Uh, well, personally, after graduating from university in uh, uh, what, 83? Uh, no, I started at 83, but I graduated in 88. Uh, so I started my career as a translator with TASS, the Soviet news agency. And I was also doing a lot of freelance translations, both written and simultaneous, uh, for the uh, likes of uh, IMF, Comic-Con, uh, other international organizations. At TESS, I worked for the World News Service for a few years. Uh, so in a way, I was a propaganda guy. I was briefly posted as a trainee correspondent for TESS in London. And in parallel, I started working for Commerçant, uh, the English uh, weekly, and became deputy editor-in-chief. Uh, when we closed Commerçant's English uh, edition, uh, I joined Baker's as a translator I then did my law degree with Moscow State University, uh, started working for Skednarps in Moscow as a trainee and then came back to Baker's uh, as an associate and have been working with the firm since 98 for more than 23 years. Uh, I've been a corporate uh, and M&A lawyer doing transactions in various uh, industries. Uh, assisting clients uh, to enter the Russian market exit. Uh, in a few instances, have been involved in corporate conflicts, reorganizations, and as you said, currently I'm managing partner for CIS, which is uh, Russia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan, and I've been in this role for uh, nine exciting years. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Sergey, I did know some of that background, but it was refreshing to hear titles such as TAS and Comic-Con, you know, because I go back to those days as well and I, I know what it means. I'd forgotten that you joined Baker McKenzie in 1998, which of course is a interesting year as well uh, to be to be doing things. And I was in Moscow uh, a, a couple of weeks after the devaluation of August that year. But uh, we're in a different kind of crisis, very, very different from 98. And obviously, globally, before we move into Russia, globally, 2020 was the COVID year. And uh, well, it's not finished yet, of course, uh, 2021. 
Just in general terms, uh, what did you see happening in the business world and amongst uh, Big McKenzie clients globally? And how was the firm, your law firm, reacting globally? Uh, well, indeed, it, it has been a health and humanitarian crisis. And actually, some say that it was the most challenging global economic disruption since the Second World War. And we've seen disruption of supply chains, a fall in demand, obviously lockdowns, no, no travel, most economies contracted, uh, lots of workforce challenges, remote work, a well-being crisis driven by fear and uncertainty, unemployment, furloughs. So a lot of volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity uh, at the extreme. And clients needed advice on how to operate in lockdowns, how to operate remotely. And there were lots of initially employment and regulatory issues because uh, really it was um, a mess and people didn't know what, how to react. And that was aggravated by health-related issues. Uh, but on the positive side, I think there was a leap in digitization, in automation, shifting to online work. At the same time, clients were reorganizing, uh, adopting new business models, becoming more agile. Uh, I think we realized that innovation is a must uh, to survive. Uh, so obviously all this required lawyers to assist in reorganizations and adoption of new business models, ways of working, dealing with supply and demand disruptions, changing contracts, finding new partners. Uh, but to a large degree, this was still business as usual with clients carrying on operations, looking for ways to navigate new challenges and being actually very, very resilient. So in this sense, ordinary legal support continued. Some areas obviously slowed down when courts uh, stopped working because of the lockdowns or because regulators stopped um, work because again of the lockdowns. But I felt that was for a relatively short period. And then globally, obviously governments intervened to help uh, and various countries saw uh, all kinds of measures to support uh, the economies. And I think from then on, things started to become a bit brighter, especially when uh, vaccines sort of were rolled out. Uh, and I guess uh, for me, in a sense, it was a, a very brief, a very shocking crisis, which then kind of became a bit optimistic. And, and frankly, if... Uh, a year ago, we were having a great year. I was thinking, wow, we are growing in Russia everywhere. It was very nice. Suddenly there was lockdown and things went to, into a nosedive. Uh, but now I, I'm again sort of optimistic uh, with all the, the news that we are getting. Uh, so lots of transformational change for our clients. Lots of transformational change for us. Uh, I'm happy that I think we... Uh, I mean, as always, and we've been through many crises uh, in my jurisdiction, things eventually turned out to be much better than we expected. That's a good note to end that opening remark, Sergei, and thank you. And uh, I'll just fill in there. I, 
I've heard you speak recently, so I think you echo my comments. When I'm talking with many executives doing business, and we'll move to Russia now, uh, a year ago, there was obviously a great fear and concern. Oh my God, we've lost our business forever. And that certainly was not the case. And uh, I would suggest that maybe 80% of the clients we're working with that we share with you, they, they survived well. They feel they've survived well. And actually the 2021 has started well for many. It does vary across sectors, uh, of course. I'd like to move into Russia now. And you know what you said there about the world. I'll come later just to forewarn you. You know I'll ask for more detailed questions about digital sanctions compliance, but feel free to mention them now at the start, and we can elaborate later. Because the question is, compared with the world, how did Russia um, behave as a market? How were your clients compared with what you've just said? And you said, you know, yes, Russia is a particular jurisdiction. What was the same as the rest of the world and what was different? There are a lot of similarities, I should say. Uh, however, because I mean, uh, I think the lockdowns were easier in Russia. Uh, also quite, uh, I mean, all most top managers were vaccinated very early. Uh, and we a lot a lot of the industry was not actually shut down. Uh, things continued, and I think this affected essentially the condition that the Russian market is in. Uh, because at the start of the pandemic, the, the main question we were getting was, do we actually qualify uh, as an industry exempt from lockdowns? Uh, because we are, I don't know, because we we have a contract with Gazprom or whatever. Um, and I I was surprised uh, how well the government uh, acted, to be honest. Uh, even uh, and, and one of the surprises was the healthcare situation, uh, because uh, you normally expect things to be quite uh, sort of difficult in the healthcare sector, but. Uh, we had a couple of instances where my personal friends ended up in uh, with COVID, uh, and they were very surprised how effectively uh, the healthcare system worked for them. Uh, that being said, uh, again, I think the the fall in demand uh, in our market because it's a developing market was initially deeper than elsewhere, uh, but uh, the economy is still resilient. And I think the reason for that is that we are so used to crisis <laughs> and the leaders of the most, uh, I mean, all our clients, for all of our clients in Russia, this is probably what the fifth or the sixth crisis. Uh, so nothing new, to be honest. Uh, everybody realized that you have to be very quick, very focused. Uh, people acted very quickly to cut costs, uh, to look at alternative supply routes, um, not very bothered about uh, uh, being too bureaucratic, I should say, and embraced remote work and digital and all that uh, very quickly. Uh, so I think uh, the market reacted very positively better than some other developed mar uh, developing markets. 
uh, and and that brings a sense of uh, uh, excitement uh, to me personally and uh, as a lawyer working in the sector. Uh, but as as usual, we've also seen uh, say changes in government regulations and pressure from uh, yeah. government authorities on uh, some of our clients, including uh, like platforms and digital ecosystems. Uh, because they were addressing and they are currently addressing access and uh, uh, say data privacy issues in Russia, trying to force platforms to say localize in a way. So that has been also a very noticeable uh, drive. And I would say that for Russia, localization is the word probably uh, in many respects, starting from incentives to start local production to changing regulations to well pressure multinational clients uh, to localize but then there is all, all, all clearly another trend uh, to ensure uh, that Russia is uh, self-sufficient in critical technologies and critical products so I think these are the major trends that affect uh, the market, how the government uh, behaves, uh, and uh, obviously uh, this requires legal support. So that's a source of uh, work for us. Thanks a lot. I'll I'll want to flesh this out with you, but just want to say yes, localization, and you use the words incentives and pressure, which is definitely the case. Uh, we're seeing that globally. I think globally also with the um, the crisis, the supply chains, probably increasing global protectionism. More of our clients, mutual clients, are looking at localization generally. Now, whether they're all going to do it is another story. And localization, as you well know, Sergei, does not necessarily mean building a big factory, but localizing staff, localizing supply chains, localizing marketing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that will be more the case. You've certainly mentioned you know the, those things that they need oh and sorry i want to echo increasing regulation uh, we're seeing that in russia of course governments are adapting to the changed environment and uh, changing and bringing in new regulation and we're seeing that across asia middle east and other markets as well just on an operational basis data you mentioned localization and uh, the it software industry but has there been a big pickup in requests on compliance or much less on M&A or HR related? Um, what, what are the more m mundane operational uh, legal things you're dealing with? Uh, well, uh, employment requests were, were probably uh, the most frequent ones because everybody was dealing with how we how we do terminate st staff how do we work remotely how do we regulate that uh, so i would say that 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 is probably a number one uh, topic in the pandemic uh, but gradually it has become uh, in a way business as usual with uh, requests for how do we digitalize uh, our uh, industry what are the issues? How do we treat date, personal data? Uh, and then uh, a lot of things related to the IT uh, access, uh, 
disputes with uh, FAS, Roskomnadzor, uh, and all these issues are uh, quite uh, frequent, I would say, these days. Yeah. But I should also mention that uh, M&A is still going quite actively, both, both as regards uh, Russian clients. Uh, we are seeing a lot of activity in uh, uh, major ecosystems buying, say, startups with new technical solutions that is very active. Uh, but also other projects, including in the uh, in the oil and gas industry, natural resources, uh, are still ongoing. Uh, so, and interestingly, we've done quite a number of deals remotely, to the extent, of course, we can. Uh, and I, I do have a sense that the economy is uh, reasonably healthy. Uh, with lots of activity going on, it's, it may be not as visible uh, if you are not involved. Uh, but I do have a sense that uh, it's uh, life as usual. Uh, very interesting projects happening across many sectors, uh, obviously in the pharma sector, uh, uh, as well in IT, which I already mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, with courts uh, and regulators back uh, in operating mode, uh, we are also seeing lots of activity there as well. Right. Just uh, for my own curiosity and perhaps for our listeners, you mentioned oil and gas. Uh, just a, a short question, short answer, Sergey. Uh, oil and gas, is that mostly domestic local players or are Western players still active in the sector? Uh, both. Both are reasonably active, and uh, uh, I should say that major Western players are also considering major projects uh, in this country, and it's still on the agenda. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. The other area I'm, I'm, we're both very interested in is pharma and medical, um, and you say things are going on there. Uh, can you, we've got the localization program for many years ongoing in pharma in Russia and the background, as we know, is that our pharma clients are doing well or very well in Russia in pre-COVID uh, and 2021 and I think the outlook is reasonably good, of course, with the national projects and other things. But on the pharma medical side, well, what's the activity that uh, clients are coming to you for, most of all? Uh, well, unfortunately, I can't obviously share some of the details, but oh. it's uh, uh, it's uh, both related to localization, to acquiring some of the locally developed products, and uh, we've seen quite a number of transactions going on in this uh, area. Uh, what else? Uh, some cooperation uh, involving vaccines, uh, as well as uh, modernizing hospitals, uh, acquiring hospitals. We, we've seen expansion of uh, private healthcare as well. So the whole range of uh, yeah. projects happening in the industry. Yeah. No, thanks uh, again. That's what I would have expected to be. And you're absolutely right, of course, expanding private sector of health. And uh, I've 
I think, you know, and that'll take me to the next question, investing, because I think executives listening to this who are not based in Moscow, they'd be thinking, well, not a lot of acquiring and activity going on. But as you say, in the pharma sector, people are acquiring some distributors or receivables or whatever, and, and that's ongoing. That takes me um, shifting a tack a little bit, Sergey. So we've both uh, been in forums where we've spoken to international audiences who are very well aware of the Russian market. And my next question is in two parts. And I know you do this and your colleagues, if you're briefing visiting CEOs or boards or head of international activity, you know, an American gentleman or a French executive comes in, it can be their first visit to Moscow or their first real acquaintance. What kind of story do you portray for them and how do you provide reinsurance, you know, to the international investors? Um, yeah. Well, I guess uh, uh, we should now speak about sanctions because, uh, yes, sanctions have seriously influenced attitudes in Russia. Uh, and this is a major question that clients ask, essentially uh, sort of two, two, two elements. Uh, one is uh, they ask their governments, uh, do you actually want us to do business in Russia? Uh, will you support us uh, when we do business in Russia? And although sanctions send a mixed signal, uh, Western sanctions send a mixed signal in this regard, uh, still I think uh, Western governments support, and that's what, what we hear, they support uh, companies from say the US or the EU that uh, do business in Russia or that they want, that they want to invest in Russia. Uh, and, and the same is true about uh, the attitude of the Russian authorities. They say, yes, we also support investors, we welcome investors. Uh, however, but uh, sanctions have promoted a sentiment in Russia that uh, we can go it alone uh, and that Western assistance or involvement is sort of irrelevant. Uh, I think sanctions have destroyed the most favored status which foreign investors had in Russia previously in the 90s and after that. And in the past, when you, uh, you are a foreign investor, this made you somewhat privileged uh, in Russia. Bad guys, say local players or bureaucrats, were cautious. They were worried about a negative resonance if they did something to a foreign investor. Uh, so that, I think, has gone. Uh, currently, in most cases, Western com companies are treated as, as if they are local. And privately, government, uh, government uh, officials mention that there is a sanctions war going on, so you shouldn't expect any special treatment. Uh, and essentially, this means that to be successful in this market, you have to be better, uh, you have to be smarter, uh, you have to be fully compliant and navigate uncertainties in a sophisticated way, uh, meaning that you have to be more appraised of local nuance issues, what are the local interests, what are the regulations, uh, what is the reason, for instance, if uh, you have a problem and how to address it. Um, 
And in that sense, for me as a lawyer, it makes uh, things a bit, a little bit more interesting because really solutions have to be more uh, creative, more sophisticated. Uh, it's not just sort of going to someone uh, high up and uh, discussing and then solving it. You really have to work the local uh, network, local issues, local courts uh, to get a problem go away. Uh, but uh, that said, I still feel that companies that are really focused, uh, that can have a, a meaningful dialogue with uh, local players, uh, succeed and uh, get very good margins uh, as a result. Uh, so in my in my uh, in my view, uh, sanctions have made the market a bit more. Uh, sophisticated, uh, more mature, uh, but at the same time, of course, uh, more challenging. Uh, but, but other things make the market also more challenging and uh, unpredictable and ambiguous. That's the world we are living in. Uh, so, uh, yes, so I am positive on the Russian economy uh, generally because I, I think it's going in the right direction. I think that the government is uh, pursuing a very uh, focused economic policy. Uh, the central bank is quite um, well-functioning and well-led. Uh, so with, with that, I think that creates a reasonable business environment for companies that uh, uh, work in this market. I must say that we, we are not seeing too many new entrants to the market for obvious reasons because of the pandemic and because of issues. But those that still enter the market, uh, again, these are the issues they are considering. And uh, our advice is normally uh, with a focused strategy with the right personnel in place, uh, you can be very successful in this market. And I think, uh, I mean, I normally say that I feel we are quite successful as a as a business here, uh, and uh, I am very positive about our prospects. By the way, just follow on a couple of things there. I recently was having this kind of discussion with a manufacturing company, and you're absolutely right. New investment, but globally also is down, and certainly in Russia for specific reasons. But I did a, a quick trawl through some of the sources I have. And so, again, you know, in 10 minutes, I found 20, 30 examples of investment in 2020, 2021, exactly what you said, of companies already there in Russia, building new production lines or looking for new uh, manufacturing facilities, uh, retail outlets and so on. So absolutely right. Uh, it does go on. You've answered the question in a way, and, and I share that you've described it very well, how it's changed attitudes and so on. I think sanctions are now for the companies on the ground are very manageable. And my own view is, uh, given the way the world is, um, I don't see the Europeans wanting to increase or intensify sanctions. Uh, I don't see President Biden wanting to do that, but Congress might have a different view. It's a tricky question and you, just your personal opinion, really. Going forward, you know, in the next year or two, do you think sanctions will be getting worse or stable or better from where they are now? 
I expect them, frankly, I, in a way they are irrelevant. Uh, because uh, people have got used to, to sanctions. Uh, I think it is clear that the market is never empty. So in a way, sanctions open opportunities for other players to fill in basically the, the gap. Uh, and uh, I do hope that the, the Biden and the Putin meeting uh, in June will stabilize expectations and create, as stated, a more predictable environment, and that would be uh, that would be very good for for businesses uh, because uh, we do crave uh, predictability uh, and a bit of stability in the very unstable world that we've seen in the last uh, year or so. I trust we'll have a more adult relationship than we had with uh, President Putin and President Trump, and uh, uh, let's see. Maybe that's a, a low hurdle to compare it with. But I think that we've done on sanctions, thanks a lot. You touched upon, I'd just like you to flesh out before I ask you about compliance, although maybe link now. You talked about IT and software, and that's, you know, in the media, uh, it's getting impact. And could you uh, elaborate a little more on that? You know, we're seeing the deglobalization of digital. Uh, Russia is part of that trend. Um, Sometimes in draft and newspaper reports, uh, there's the horror stories of what's going to happen in IT, and then thankfully later it's modified. But uh, what's uh, the real thing going on at the moment, worrying your IT clients, and how do you see that developing in the next year or two? Well, yes, frankly, we, we see um, uh, pressure from uh, uh, authorities uh, and new regulation coming up uh, with a view to localize uh, uh, internet sites. Uh, I don't know if you if you know, but uh, the 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 parliament, the state Duma, has just has just adopted uh, started reviewing a law that would require. Uh, internet sites, web pages, uh, other information systems with uh, Russian audiences to have local offices, mm -hmm. uh, and and there is there seems to be flexibility there. You can have a local subsidiary or a branch, uh, basically with a view to uh, be liable uh, for uh, things that uh, are done locally for the focus on the Russian uh, audiences, uh, removing content that that is illegal, uh, and uh, we, we've seen increased uh, fines uh, for that, and you read in the papers that uh, this or that company has been slapped by, by a significant fine for not removing content. But again, as in other countries, this is uh, an industry that uh, will be further regulated uh, and Russia obviously for is is trying to do that uh, that is creating uncertainty and uh, issues for our clients but uh, overall I I would think that that's a global trend yeah. uh, um, and we will we will see more regulation hopefully after new laws are adopted and uh, clients get used to them uh, and comply with them, 
Uh, obviously, localization is also another issue that is top of mind. Uh, Russia is trying to, uh, as regards its critical infrastructure, to promote the local industry. And you're aware that recently there were tax breaks for Russian IT companies. So there is a lot, a lot of movement going uh, on in the industry. And as you said, I think there is an element of carrot and stick incentive and pressures there too. And your conclusion, I obviously I agree with, uh, it's, it's drifting to saying something like it will be manageable. And as you say, companies adapt. And so long it's, it's not fundamentally critical, uh, companies have a great deal of resilience in markets like Russia, for sure. And both of us know that companies want to be there. And as we've implied, sales, ROI, profitability, despite anything and everything, uh, remain good. That's the good news. On the ground, uh, Sergei, I, again, I think the executives we're working directly with in, in Russia uh, are very aware, you know, that the buzzword compliance. But again, if you were directing yourself to a, an American board meeting, uh, if they were not so well attuned to the Russian market, there'd be a lot of skepticism and fear. Um, but, you know, compliance is an issue across the world in China, India, Africa, Latin, Middle East and developed markets. Um, how do you portray the compliance story to the, you know, international executives on the one hand and then to your more, let's say, more knowledgeable executives running up businesses in Russia? It is one of the top priorities uh, because uh, as a uh, multinational player, uh, you face uh, a risk in the sense that uh, because of the uh, political tensions, a bureaucrat thinks that if he's discovered an issue with a multinational client, uh, that may be a source of accolade from uh, people, uh, from his bosses. Um, and uh, if previously, as I said, it could have been avoided just by saying, look, we are a foreign investor, we are investing in this country, we've made a minor mistake, uh, sorry for this, uh, we will sort of not repeat uh, this in the future. Uh, this requires uh, more attention, more problems at that uh, in the current climate. Uh, but it is very important to, from the start, build a proper compliance uh, system, get trained, get, uh, if you, for instance, are integrating a, a Russian company that you've acquired into your global network, it is very important to get uh, people who are familiar with uh, global compliance issues, FCPA and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and obviously monitor this uh, regularly. Uh, instill a corporate spirit uh, that you have uh, globally or uh, in your headquarters. Uh, and uh, that helps avoid major, major problems because uh, uh, both tax compliance, regulatory compliance uh, is uh, very important. Um, and we've seen a lot of, well, clients now and then get hit uh, if they're not compliant. Uh, and uh, again, Russia is uh, very high on the uh, corruption index. Uh, the, everybody aware of that. So 
having uh, compliance programs that prevent uh, people from doing uh, bad things uh, is a top priority uh, in this market. And we've also seen uh, that Russian local companies are paying a lot of attention to this. Uh, basically introducing uh, compliance programs and uh, are quite uh, focused on uh, addressing this issue as well. So it's a general trend. Indeed. <clears throat> as you were talking there, Sergei, something came to mind, which is coming up uh, more and more with our group members. And I didn't flag this before, but I'm sure you have an opinion on it and can give us a general uh, response. Uh, ESG, uh, Environment, Social, Corporate Governance. Uh, I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about it, but the, my background is, you know, we're seeing this globally. I sometimes wonder whether it's just PR, and then <clears throat> I have a sort of a more cynical, uh, old-style thought about the Soviet Union and Russia. You know, does it really matter? Would Russian companies be that bothered? Now, I fully understand that view could be out of date. And, uh, you know, we are hearing a lot of uh, changes going on. And uh, I noticed Mr. Deli Pasco was in the news recently about the portfolio of businesses they were looking at for the green impact as well. So um, could you just give us a little bit of a summary on, on that trend from the leak, your perspective, personal and the company? Um, is it really developing? Is it something big or, or not? Uh, it is developing. I think it will it will be big uh, because you cannot be competitive. I don't think you can be successful in uh, the current world unless you make ESG uh, as one of your priorities. Uh, I don't think this is just talk uh, because... Uh, uh, I mean, corporate governance, for instance, starting from a subject that is very familiar for me, uh, uh, it's probably, what, uh, maybe a decade uh, of work already. Uh, and despite all the difficulties, I think everybody is very clear that if you are good at corporate governance, your company will uh, do very well as regards uh, shareholders and as regards operations. Uh, environment, I think, in Russia has obviously uh, ha been a bit slow. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Norilsk Nickel and the huge uh, fine that was slapped on it yeah. just very, very vividly highlights that uh, Russia has to address the issue. Uh, and then all things social, uh, the pandemic has highlighted that uh, uh, Basically, uh, the state of your workforce is critical uh, for your business. Uh, mental well-being, uh, being uh, addressing innovation, reskilling, uh, redistributing talent, uh, all this uh, just affects your resilience and the way uh, you you operate in the unpredictable market that uh, exists. So, uh, from from this perspective, uh, I would say I would think that companies that are successful with ESG 
would generally have a competitive advantage and companies that think that this is something that has been invented by uh, people who are uh, pretending to to address important things uh, they will sort of uh, uh, fail in a way right thank you we're gonna have i've been persuaded by this by listening to our group members and we're gonna do a webinar on this uh, in the summer and we'll let you uh, be well informed about that and i'd like to invite you onto the panel to give you know your perspective you gave it just very briefly now and you'll have time to think about it sergey because uh, i i think you know you, you say it's uh, it is developing and it will be big that's uh, what i take away from your remarks thanks a lot uh time reasons we're doing nicely and closing out soon but you address the final topic from my side anyway um just in your remarks there human resources the work from home uh, I know you're working, doing this recording with us from your office in Moscow. Um, the general trend back certainly has been people were very satisfied and pleasantly shocked at how good the translation to work from home went. And at the moment, I'm seeing in Moscow for Western investor companies at the moment, at the end of May 2021, You've got maybe 20-25% of staff rotating in the office. Um, companies are looking at increasing that in the next month or September the 1st. And you have a few who say global headquarters have said nothing this year really in the office. They are a minority. On the other hand, Russian companies, the culture is a bit different and you tend to have 50, 60, 70-80% in the office as well. And final point, within the Western companies, there is a there is a range. So my questions, uh, Sergey, are what's your uh, attitude, you know, and thoughts as your firm and managing partner on the office structure? You know, an ignorant remark might be legal work lends itself to work from home, does it? And you've talked about the uh, welfare of people and everything. You know, after 14 months in certainly in Central Europe, people are getting tired of it. We've had less lockdown in Russia. So how have your staff adapted to it and uh, what changes do you think they will be? I think we've done uh, very well. Uh, remote was natural. Uh, I think we had a mental barrier to to working remotely uh, because factually we were working remotely. I mean, as a lawyer, you work from you travel a lot, you work from anywhere essentially. Uh, but an office in our mind uh, mind was a very important uh, element. So uh, I think it it will remain to be important, but for different reasons. It's not so much a place where you work. Uh, I think we should turn our office more into a place where you collaborate, where you exchange experiences, where you learn. Uh, and uh, hybrid work is here to stay. Yeah. Uh, I would think that uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, we will consider whether we'll have two days uh, fully remote or fully flexible and uh, three days in the office. Um, uh, we, we, we recently did a survey basically asking our uh, people uh, 
it was quite a long one on how they were affected by the uh, by the remote working mm -hmm. uh, and the sizable number of people said they they actually enjoyed it because you you don't have to travel yeah yeah uh, you have uh, basically more time with your family uh, at the same time and we know i mean you were you, you have to work like around the clock uh, it's very difficult manage your time because you wake up you start you open the, the laptop and uh, I mean you close it when it's nearly midnight so uh, for in this perspective we have to manage this uh, we have to train people a lot uh, on how to cope uh, with stress on how to organize themselves I think as employers we have to be more uh, uh, listening uh, to organizing flexible working uh, ensuring that there are breaks, ensuring that people uh, take time off uh, and essentially focusing on the well-being of our people and helping them to deal with mental crisis uh, and at the same time take care of themselves uh, and train our leaders uh, to be uh, more reactive, to, to, to be more humane uh, and uh, I think that's culturally aware, uh, basically lead with purpose. Uh, this is extremely uh, important uh, for remote work to, to really be successful. We haven't seen uh, a, a, any effect on productivity uh, by remote work. Uh, I think uh, we can make it work. But it does require additional training, it does require additional attention, new protocols, new procedures, uh, including involving clients as well. Thanks. No, I think you put your finger on it there, and uh, most of the studies I'm seeing globally and within Russia suggest, you know, people are actually working longer hours, which might uh, improve the productivity, but you're right, increases their tiredness and uh, stress and strain. I think another truism we've seen is that, uh, you know, from a manager's perspective, you're, you know, are people well behaved in the sense of doing work at home? Yes, they are. But I think the truism that's coming out a lot is that many managers are saying my very good employees staff in the office are the very good ones at home and those who are less good in the office are less good at home. So, you know, those things uh, run through. But that's uh, certainly a factor. And your three days in, two days out, or in out, three, two, seems to be the proportions that many, many companies, I think, will be using uh, in the future. And of course, we're talking with many of our staff, and maybe from a legal side, you are, you are our colleagues, sorry. And um, some companies have already moved offices, some have downsized, some have got rid of a floor or something like that. Some are, of course, stuck in leases, so they can't change so much. So I think that will be a, a, a driver for uh, the future. Thanks a lot, Sergey. Sergey, I, I said, you know, I gave us a sort of a time uh, period for this conversation. We're there. It's been very, very enjoyable. But to the end of it, is there anything um, you've think we've missed out or you'd like to elaborate a bit more or a closing remark? I think we've covered quite a number of very interesting uh, subjects. I guess 
uh, I was sort of thinking that in terms of the uh, the, the 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 workforce, uh, we have to go big on education and training uh, because you have to develop soft skills, uh, new communications ways. I mean, being on Zoom, just training people to be effective with Zoom communications is very important, and it increases the impact you have on uh, on the counterparties. And, I, and maybe the second thing is uh, we should focus on effective communication and uh, recognize the humanity of the situation, uh, because people are facing so many challenges. Uh, and without effectively communicating what what has to be achieved, why you are trying to achieve this, uh, and listening to people and being kind to them in in a state where everybody is feeling the pressure, uh, I feel that that's very important for for businesses as well to to succeed. Thanks, okay. By the way, one of your colleagues in your HR team was on one of our uh, webinars recently and gave a, a great uh, outline. And one of the things we talked about, technical boring in a way, was you know, uh, overtime and how do you manage that legally, technically. That was an important topic. And you've addressed these things about stress and work behavior in a serious way, and they are serious. If I may, I'll finish off on a, a light-hearted uh, comment on this, which is in the legal sector. I don't know if you know this story, and I'll share it with you. Our colleagues can edit this part of this conversation out if they wish, but I, I think it should stay in. I'm informed that in America, um, there is now a new uh, feature of work life and medical life called Zoom Bottom, Zoom Popo, which of course means as you said, um, people are sitting in meetings for too long. They're sitting at their desks for too long. And in America, where else, uh, some employees of some companies are taking their companies to court and suing them for their medical treatment of Zoom bottom. Their bottoms have been misadjusted or hurt from sitting down too much at meetings. Now, that is America, you know, and only in America, and I'm sure Zoom Bottom does not exist in Russia. So, uh, but uh, anyway, if Baker McKenzie are handling any of those cases in America, uh, please let us know. We'd, we'd like to see how they they uh, uh, how they're litigated. <laughs> well, I, I will. Uh, I'm aware that not in Russia. In Russia, you have to move a lot <laughs> just to survive. So that's a feature. <laughs> okay, I think we'll stop the conversation on bottoms there. And uh, but it's uh, a light-hearted way to look at the the serious things of business. So again, I was looking forward to this. It's been very very enjoyable. You have a, an immense decades of knowledge and a strategic picture of things, and I always love uh, listening to you. I think your comments also on the sanctions about the, you know, not necessarily impacting on the bottom line uh, quarter per quarter but you know how they affected the mentality of business i think it's a very crucial and big point so much appreciated and uh, once again a formal thank you and an informal thank you uh, it's a pleasure Danny. thank you very much as well pleasure